All right. Let's read. I'm going to read it. I want you guys to follow along. So here we go. Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1. And the person that's talking here is the prophet Isaiah. So when he says, I, it means Isaiah. Okay. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, right, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, which are angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We're going to stop there for a second. Isaiah sees a vision of God in the temple. Grand, huge, and glorious. And he sees these angels worshiping God, describing him as holy, 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 and the Lord of hosts. Now, incidentally, we've studied some other characteristics of God through this series so far, right? Last week, Whitney came and shared with us about God being our father. We've looked at God as our, the only one worthy of our worship. We've looked at God as faithful, and we've got a couple of more weeks in the series to come. But tonight's topic is the only characteristic of God that is used in Scripture in that way, saying holy, holy, holy. That's called its superlative form, you know, like the good, better, best thing, best. It means most, most holy. Um, in other words, God is so incredibly holy that saying it once is not enough. It's like the angels around God's throne are like all caps, bolding, underline, italicizing, and exclamation pointing it. They're repeating it for emphasis, and it's the only quality of God described like this. That merits some paying attention. Yes, our God is loving, but nowhere in Scripture does it say God is love, love, love. Yes, God is faithful. But nowhere does it say he's faithful, faithful, faithful. This is the only one of his qualities that is told to us that he's the highest degree of holy possible. Only God is most holy. He is set apart and different than anything we know. Perfect, not flawed in any way. He's so supreme that even the angels in his presence have to shield themselves from looking directly at his face. God is in a different league than any else that we know of. Let's continue reading in verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What a picture of God's power. And Isaiah sees this, and his response isn't a casual, whoa, that's cool, or wow, or hey, God, let's hang out for a while. No. In response to seeing God's holiness and majesty, Isaiah is not casual about it. He's stunned by his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people that he's a part of, his unworthiness. Now, maybe sin is a word that you're not as familiar with. Um, one of my friends refers to sin as spiritual vomit or sewage. So can you imagine being in front of somebody super important being covered in sewage or vomit? That's what our sin is like to God. 
As soon as Isaiah sees the unveiled holiness of God, he understands for the first time more of who God is. And when that understanding hits home in his heart, he sees himself more fully for who he really is. The holiness of God is traumatic for unholy people. Let's keep reading and see what happens next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. And that's where we're going to stop for a little bit. God's response to Isaiah's recognition of his sinfulness is to send an angel to purify him with a coal to purify his lips. And then God has a job for Isaiah to do. And that's to speak God's message to his people. Isaiah volunteers to go and be used by God to reach out to his world. Seeing God's holiness, and it's not something we think about a lot. I get that this teaching isn't probably hitting where you guys are at. But if you can catch even a tiny bit of it, I think you'll be blessed. Seeing God's holiness exposes our utter sinfulness. We see this in Isaiah's story. Now we're going to look at another incident where God's holiness was on display, and we're going to see what happened. Please turn with me, if you would, to Luke. And Luke is in the New Testament, so you're going to flip farther back. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Yes, good job. <laughs> um, but we're only going to stop at Luke. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and thank you for the lights. Um, Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Luke chapter 5, it's page 594. Awesome, thank you. 594. All right, I'm going to start reading it again. If you could just follow along. And watch for it. Watch for the reaction. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, um, pressing in on Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. In other words, we caught no fish. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Peter and his friends witnessed this huge miracle catch of fish, so much so that their boats begin to sink. And it's not just the volume of the fish that's the miracle. 
It's also the fact that they had spent all night prime fishing time out on the lake and hadn't caught, caught a thing. And then Jesus tells them to take, and take the boats out into the deeper water, let the nets down. And during the daytime, which is not at all the best time for fishing, and they caught all these fish. That's a miracle. And what's Peter's response to this display of Jesus' holiness? It's in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. Get away from me, right? For I am a sinful man, Lord. Seeing Jesus' power and holiness on this on display in this miracle, highlighted for Peter his own sinfulness and inadequacy. You guys, when we start to understand more about who God is, it helps us get to know better who we are too. We too will be struck by our sinfulness. And seeing our sins leads us to better understand our need for forgiveness and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Whitney can, the lights, we don't need them anymore. But hear this. If you're coasting through life, thinking that you're doing okay, I'm not too bad of a person, not really in need of that much forgiveness, that would have been me, my junior high and high school self. I thought I was doing pretty okay. You know, I didn't do a lot of the really bad stuff and, you know, didn't get in trouble a whole lot. But if that's you thinking, I'm doing okay, you know, I'm not that bad of a person, I would challenge you to really examine that assumption For one whole day, keep track of how many times you do the wrong thing. How many times during that one day do you hurt someone with your words or actions? How many times during that one day do you have disrespectful words towards someone or an attitude towards someone? How many times do you think mean thoughts? How many unkind words do you speak? How many times do you cheat or steal or lie? How many times do you pridefully compare yourself to someone else and go, well, at least I'm not that bad? I would challenge you to examine what one day in your life looks like. And as you and I become more familiar with how imperfect we are, and as we get to know who God is, it's going to help us understand so much better our need for what he did for us in Jesus. Because our sin separates us from the one and only holy, holy, holy God. We need a Savior to make a way for us, to purify us like that angel did with the coal to Isaiah's lips in his vision. I want to read a quote. Um, R.C. Sproul is a Bible teacher. Um, If you guys have Right Now Media at your houses, um, you have access to his teachings. But he said this, When I commit the slightest sin, the smallest sin. I am saying that my will has a right that is higher than the will of God. In the slightest sin, I defy the authority of God. I insult the majesty of God. And I challenge the justice of God. But if we come humbly to our Savior, God is ready to forgive and to cleanse and to send, just like he did for Isaiah. Which brings me to our last point for tonight. If we have truly encountered our holy God, 
and we have truly realized the depth of our sinfulness and received forgiveness through Jesus, then we are to live in a way that reflects God's holiness to the rest of our world. Like the moon reflects the sun. We're meant to live lives that point others to God, to his holiness, that they too could be drawn to him and see their need for Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 15 says this, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here's where that second definition of the word holy comes in. Our lives are to be characterized by pure and right living that points to God. We're to be set apart, different than those around us who are not living for God. We are not supposed to blend in. We are not supposed to blend in. And that's countercultural. I get that. In the Lord's Prayer, one of the things that Jesus told his disciples and us to pray, the first thing he told them to pray and us to pray, is that God's name would be hallowed, that God's name would be viewed as holy. To pray that his name is treated as different, special, extraordinary. Because God himself is those things. God is different. He's special. He's extraordinary. We're called to reflect God's different, special, and exalted nature, to mirror and reflect that to a dying world. Now, this does not mean that we have to muster up perfect living on our own, because we can't do it. We aren't capable of that. But here's what we need to do. We need the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and transforming us. And that happens as we spend time in God's word. That happens as we spend time in prayer, talking to God. That happens as we're in worship with others, focused on God. And when we spend time with other believers. As his followers, we're called to be holy. Not in the sense that we could ever be perfect, but in the sense that we are to be separate and different, set apart. The world is filled with faults, failures, and hurts. We all know that. We are called to live as his light in this dark world. We're called to live our lives to point others to our holy, holy, holy God. Would you please pray with me? Holy, holy, holy Father, we are sin-filled people covered with that spiritual vomit and sewage, and we don't deserve to be in your presence. And yet, miracle of miracles, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, you welcome us into your family, you clean us up, you send us on a mission to share you with our world. Thank you for loving us. Open our eyes to seeing you more for who you really are and then recognizing ourselves for who we really are. Transform us to be more like Jesus. And help us to be holy as you are holy. And may our lives of worship be the result. In your holy and precious name we pray this. Amen.